Welcome into another edition of Game Theory and Money, and it is going to be an odd schedule here through the offseason, as probably every other week, at least for the immediate future, is kind of what we are looking at. I'm Matt Money Smith. She is the brains, the big brains behind this whole thing, Cynthia Freeland, and her predictive analytics degrees from fancy universities, particularly in the Midwest, is the one we like to highlight, uh, as sadly, Northwestern was not able to capture the Big Ten tournament title and make its way into the NCAA tournament, which begun this morning. As we record this on March 15th, uh, the night before the night before the night, as I once thought I had Irish heritage. Come to find out, no, French Jewish <laughs> to go along with my uh, Croatian. Who'd so you uh, you're tournament? wearing green. I'm wearing green. I know. We're all celebrating. Yeah. My uh, my grandmother, Margaret Clark, told me she was 100% Irish. She was like 25% and 75% French. So uh, So there we go. But I still liar. feel like I can She's do this. She's such a liar. I love it. Right? Grandmas can lie, though. That's and, like what they do. And to top it off, and please do not like feel bad when I say this, uh, she lived into her mid-80s. She drank herself to death. So, hence... So she, maybe she thought she was Irish. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think kind of furthering the stereotype. She would drink, and she was a Catholic, so she drank Jameson whiskey and smoked like a pack of cools a day. Unfiltered cools. They were disgusting. I tried to steal them when I was a young lad. And yeah. like, my God, if this is what smoking is, it's not for me. Now, come to find out. My Benson. grandma didn't know her own birthday. Oh, really? So we, we found out after time. she passed away, yeah. it, we were celebrating on the wrong day her entire life. So it happens. I love the old... You know, they just know. they just had a much better outlook on life. It's like, hey, you know what? This whiskey cigarette thing's working out for me. What the hell do I care? <laughs> you know? Anyway, happy Who'd you uh, pick in the tournament. What's that? Who'd you pick to win the whole thing in the NCAA tournament? I um I I have this reputation of being a Big Ten homer because I call the Big Ten tournament every right. year. So I feel like it's a self fulfilling prophecy. So my final four is I believe uh, I think it was Virginia okay. and then Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue. So hey, okay. I've got uh, Michigan right. versus Michigan State in the final with uh, East Lansing coming out victorious. My home. My your hometown. Home. Yeah, your spot. <laughs> you too? You too, Cynthia? Um, no, I do not. I See, have Villanova. you and your stinking math. I have Villanova coming out on top. Yeah, I felt like that's what I originally had. Yep. And then I recognized, oh, but then I would have them bouncing Purdue. And Purdue's probably my favorite college basketball team. Um, so I Boilermakers, huh? Exactly. Love Mackey Arena. Love right. the atmosphere in West Lafayette. And uh, really like that team. All them seniors that have stuck around for so long would love to see Vince Edwards and Carson and the giant Isaac Haas. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Cynthia uh, and I are going to go through free agency here. And boy, are you in for a treat because Cynthia kept busy uh, over these last few weeks. The Sloan Conference uh, happened a couple weeks ago, and that's where a lot of you smart folks gather and talk about projections and things that are changing in the world of analytics, what works, what doesn't, what's going to work, and yet a chance to catch up with a lot of folks. And today we are going to share with you, our podcast listeners, uh, your interview with Alex Rodriguez. Which was probably one of the coolest things because when we were talking about math, and we, you know, I'm spoiling it a little bit, but not really. Don't, please. Um, or I mean, not don't. I'm not going to spoil it. But please spoil yeah. it a little bit. I mean, we're going to get it on this podcast. This is what they call a tease in our industry, see, right? people we're can't go you. anywhere. So right. on the podcast, no, they're they're, I think they're right. with us. They're, they're here. Stuck. They're stuck. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> so we talked about math and analytics and, you know, in baseball, because baseball sabermetrics have been around and so prevalent for so long, A-Rod's had all of these metrics in his life forever. So it kind of like spills over into our current free agency situation, given that now more than ever, we're analyzing these big contracts and should it be guaranteed and all of these questions surrounding value. And Alex Rodriguez has been dealing with that his whole life. So we come from that point and the place that we end up and the things that he's open and 
Aniston tells us about are just like, I'm like, okay, we went there. We, we went right. there and that's amazing. And I thank him so much for being so open and honest and cool. So you'll see how we start in a place of math and we get to a place of like 2014. And if you guys follow Cynthia on Twitter at C Freeland, and that's with a U F R E L U N D. Yep. Uh, Norwegian. Saw the, uh, Allegedly. <laughs> see, <laughs> little did I know, little did I know of what I had in my past. It was <laughs> hidden from me when I was a child. I could have gone to temple. I could have had a bar mitzvah instead of a first communion. I could have had a choice, but they hid it from me. Um, C. Freeland, F-R-E-L-U-N-D, and you can see a little nugget from that interview that was videotaped as well of how A-Rod came to be number 13. Very cool little nugget you had in there. So that is All who we are. All back to football. That's, yes, it And he does. almost went you know, where he potentially his college options, just like many of the football players you know we talk about. What did I say about that? What? You know, you ever meet, uh, I, I feel like everybody has this experience that we go out to bars or we meet people, we meet, we meet guys that are trying to reinvent themselves okay. and they always come with what could have happened to me athletically in college. Oh gosh. And more often than not, <laughs> it is, oh, I, you know, I, I walked onto the baseball team, but I just didn't have the time. And that's usually the go-to lie. Right. So <laughs> I feel kind of like A-Rod's whole, I could have played quarterback at Miami. It's like... I don't know. That's though. the University of Miami in the early nineties. I'm gonna go with probably not playing quarterback at the U. They wanted you to play baseball. They might have said, Hey bud, you come here and and sure, we'll we'll let you try out for the football team. But they were like, you know what, you're just gonna play baseball. Our, right? That's how this is I mean, that's how recruiting. Producer works. Mark though did say when he met him, you know, sometimes you meet people in real life, athletes in real life, and they aren't as they don't have the stature, like they're not you're like, okay, like they're not as big as you might think. Oh, A-Rod's huge. Right. No, he's huge and he's in incredible shape. And I have to believe that, you know, go back into when he was eighteen years old and imagine the kind of shape he was in then even and you're like, All right, I can see I don't know, man. I, I feel see. like I'm going to walk on but baseball think about, team. But think Any guy about, ever tell you that he tried to walk onto the baseball team? Oh, all the time. Right? And like, stop using you, that lie. It doesn't please, work. Nobody ever talk about your high school basketball or come right. on, stop it. But that was what it was. It was, right. oh, you know what? I was a really good high school baseball yes. player. Um, <laughs> I tried to walk on and it just, Emma, Emma. Absolutely. See? Uh, guys, do something else. Stop it. There's stop something it. else. And you know what? Or like Especially if it in this for day that age. one coach that like just screwed them over after an injury and then they started this other guy and then they right. ran a different offense and blah, 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 blah. And like if it weren't for this one situation that happened this one time. Come on. You know, I was going to get, get kicked out it. of school. Academics were slipping. <laughs> you know what the new one is? This is what, guys, this is what you can do from now on. You know what happened? I, I started a YouTube channel. It got super successful. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, you know, whatever. Five, go down that path instead. No more that I tried to walk onto the baseball team. All right, let's get moving because uh, before we get to Alex Rodriguez, he also had a conversation with Chris Cooley, one was of the awesome. yeah, bright personalities He's in football. <laughs> uh, has his own radio show out there in D.C. Also talks about how he was analyzed with analytics and numbers and statistics a lot. I'm sure he was uh, very excited about that opportunity to be analyzed. Yeah, no, he was stoked, yes. I think is the word there I used there. There you go. There. That sounds like a Chris Cooley <laughs> word. Uh, and Chad Pennington, uh, one of the great quarterbacks, one what of the more underrated also, quarterbacks. Also, Loki, like really, really smart. Yes. You don't, you don't know that he was like a Rhodes Scholar. Fine, like one he, of the highest wonderlicks uh, ever real. at the court. I think he actually may have the highest quarterback wonderlick. Um, super smart. Yeah, super smart. And here's the best thing: his favorite restaurant will surprise you. So you have to stick around to the end of the end of the pod because his favorite restaurant is one of the more ridiculous well, things. He's a heard southern about. guy, so <laughs> you know it's like, uh, what is it? All right, I, I won't tell you right, to right, listen. Right. Is it Perkins? No. All right. Denny's? <laughs> You're close, but no. Applebee's? <laughs> stop it. All right, I'll stop. All right, let's get going. Quarterback market. Um, we have a lot of movement. 
but not too much movement. Because right. it's not 10. <laughs> it is not 10. It's going to settle in at 8. And boy, is it going to chap an ass of Dave Damashek. And we're going to have an argument about Jimmy Garoppolo. And I, it, there's no, anyway, we'll get to that on another yep. DDFP because you're part of it. Oh, you and are part. there's fingers being chopped you off. You are like, a witness. Fingers are on yes, the line here. You so are a witness a to this, deal. Cynthia, because you and Dave both said, hey, just because Jimmy Garoppolo got traded, don't write off Kirk Cousins to San Francisco yet. And bang, that's my get-out-of-jail-free card for Jimmy Garoppolo does not count because both of you believe that Kirk Cousins was still in play, which maybe he was or maybe he wasn't. I don't care. All I care about is Garoppolo. No. All right, let's get to the, uh, the, the quarterback way, market. doesn't Garoppolo seem like, first of all, it seemed like it happened a million years ago. And yes. <laughs> that's why he doesn't count because it happened a million years ago. And it's like becoming a better and better deal as each of these other free agent chess no pieces come into play. No right? question. Kirk this Cousins, guy. $90 million guaranteed. Yes, Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> looks a lot better. And Jimmy Garoppolo, who had of any quarterback who started at least five games, the best under pressure rating, and now he gets some really nasty O-line help. Okay. Which, by by the way, reminds me if you're gonna um, if you're gonna question someone like Richard Sherman on Twitter, just make sure you do your homework. Just just mind your p's and q's. Who did that? Uh, when he posted the number since 2011, Richard Sherman in coverage, Richard Sherman quarterback rating against Richard Sherman interceptions, and a guy I don't know who he was, some some jamoke who was uh, working I don't know wherever. Oh, you know what though? Who had I, a blue I check. know those people. And oh, he has a blue check. Has a blue oh, okay, check, okay. and he's like, why why'd you only go back to 2011? Oh, and Richard gosh. Sherman's like, because that's when I entered the league. So kind of <laughs> hard, uh, kind of hard to to go back. I thought any it was going to be like I thought that. it was going to be like the basement guy who's like SMH more analytic. Yeah, no, it was, and it's uh, just singular. Why'd more you go analytic. Back to 2011, because uh, that's when I was. Uh, that's when I entered the league. So I don't know what. Bra. Uh, so here we go. Quarterback market yep. and projections. We have got a lot of new spots. Uh, let's start with the big one, Kirk Cousins. <laughs> let's just say he better be good. First of all, I kind of right, better be. I kind of hate like like look, we can't control the deal. I'm not writing deals, you're not writing deals. I think good for him for putting that comp in the marketplace. Like I kind of fall along lines of like good for you for getting like as much money as possible. That you I want as much money as possible. You want as much money as possible. But my problem with Kirk Cousins in this situation is red zone interceptions and turnovers. And that's the area where I'm like, that's where Alex Smith projects to be an upgrade in Washington. So those are the two kind of things I'm like, well, that's kind of a really important thing to note. And obviously you're getting a better cast of character characters around him next season than he had last season. I think that's Washington. what's so hard to figure out, so it's right? So going to see that this, to me, that's going to be like When you've got like Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, or Jamal Charles, you know, those are oh, such I, a... I an, guess I meant more along the line. Well, and I love what they did in Washington. But I'm just saying... If you're projecting of if yep. you're trying to project forward based on what we had in the past, yep. I mean, look what Kirk Cousins had to throw to last year. But that's sure, what I'm saying. So that's it, that, that's why it's hard better, to kind of something that's been in it, uh, the past three years. So I went back, obviously, you know, past three years is more of a proxy for sustained success than one year. This year was kind of an anomaly. Where was Jamison Crowder? Like we we didn't see many of the Josh Doxon, like it, it, Terrell Pryor. Remember he was on the team because I I didn't see very much of that's him. That's a bad so. fit. So what yeah, do you think? And, a better and Jordan Reed is an upgrade. How about we play it this way? I'll, I'll just say this I is, think that the Vikings go better are going to win the NFC North. You, you, Aaron Rodgers is back. Okay. I mean, I think – and the Bears have gotten are, better. Are the Vikings better or worse? I mean, they can't control what's outside. Yep. They can only control what they do. So are the Vikings better this or year, worse with Kirk Cousins? This year, I think they're a little better. Not a ton. Not what I think, you know, for, for dollar for dollar. I don't think they're a ton better. I think they're going to lose – more games are going to win fewer games in this situation because of the competition around them and playing a first-place schedule. But next year and the years following, when they've got these big free agent defensive signings, that's going to be a problem. So if they have to let them go, 
if you have to let yeah. them go. Either bar, pick between bar or Kendricks. Pick between, yeah, right. Yeah. That's what you're so, saying. I mean, if you look in the, I, I went back and rewatched their whole season and their defense in the regular season. Yes, they were the best defense in the regular season, but in the playoffs, their corners, what happened to their secondary? So different. It was pretty much just Xavier Rhodes. And then what happened to the rest of them? Yeah. So right. it was, anyways. So, that's so let's the, do the let's do the result of that then. They choose not to keep Case Keenum, uh, and instead give thirty million bucks a year, twenty eight whatever, to Kirk Cousins. Uh, how much is is Denver better or worse with Case Keenum? And I imagine that's tougher for you because that's just a weird one year outlier for Keenum compared to not a whole lot of sample size, but I would guess enough that really. I mean, I would guess it makes it hard to project what Keenum is. It is incredibly hard to project exactly who Keenum is. However, it's an upgrade for Denver based on, you know, you saw Trevor Simeon. You saw a lot of crazy, you know, swings and misses. He was very Denver, inconsistent. Right? When he was good, he was pretty darn right. good. And they also have to create a system around him where he's going to succeed Keenum. as well. Yeah. The O-line needs to needs help. They need to figure out their running situation. They're, they need to, I mean, they. it seems like their wide receivers are good, but who's their tight end? Like these are they have some they have some big question marks. I guess marks. if Butt's healthy, yeah, Butt and Hireman, right? But is, you don't, I guess, know I don't know exactly. Like you don't know exactly what's going. So to me, that one's a bigger question mark. Although I do think it's an upgrade, and I do think Keenum provides stability. You saw Keenum. He's if nothing else, he's going to be a leader in the locker room. We've seen him have this much experience. People respect what he's done. I think that you know, look, if I'm Emmanuel Sanders, another veteran. If I'm Demarius Thomas, another veteran. I'm looking and I'm be like, all right, we've got a nasty defense. We've got a guy who can get the job done. We're in a b- much better situation going forward. I won't be surprised if they take a quarterback at five. I, I think you know, why it's not? A, it's a two-year right. deal. Um, and but John Elway kind of alluded to that, right? It's like the best bridge possible. Yeah. You know, Keenum is the best. I think Keenum gives you the opportunity to win now. He's not super expensive, and he's got a lot of great indicators. In other words, he also knows how to execute a playbook. I think the learning curve from whatever they're trying to execute in Denver on offense, as long as, you know, obviously you have to have the time to throw the ball if you don't get crushed all the time, then he's going to have a great opportunity to create success there. I uh, like that move a lot. How about, uh, gosh, and I, I'm just looking down the list like the rest of these have. Um, like we called Tyrod Taylor to Cleveland? Come on. I mean, Ty- Come on. So let's start with that. Let's start with Tyrod and love his. It. Yeah, I love it. His, the yeah. rushing. It, it is a great profile. If they want Baker Mayfield, if they want Lamar Jackson, and I'm hearing maybe more the Lamar Jackson wow. route, it gives you an opportunity to create the mold for a, someone to be brought up to speed. Someone with Lamar Jackson averaged over 108 rushing yards per game yeah. in three years. That's ridiculous. And, and and I think the key with that is, and, and I'm not, I don't know where I come out on Lamar. That's just not going to happen in the NFL. It, it's, correct. So that's, but, but that's what's so is, hard to project Tyrod, quarterbacks like that. Tyrod Taylor. So Tyrod and Taylor. And I love Tyrod. Low turnover game, yeah. guy. I, I went through, you know, I, we talked about the mold, the mold we created about, you know, the five different buckets with average and elite and well below average on either end of those five bucket mold. And I went through again and blindly went through and just put blind statistics, like actual statistics and asked those coaches again. And I ca- I recasted last year, the year before, and the year before. So three years of Tyrod Taylor. And Tyrod was between 12 and 16 in terms of number quarterback on their list. Yeah, that Blind makes, resume. It, I, don't, I don't find that hard to believe He's polarizing. At all. The, the one he, thing he's polarizing because of the red zone interceptions. The red zone interceptions. But, but when you but, only have four interceptions and two of them happen in the red zone, it doesn't mean 50% are happening like the same 50% right. that if you're throwing 11 picks and or 22 the, like Deshaun Kaiser did last year. The one false narrative about Tyrod is that he doesn't push the ball downfield. He does. Yes. If, you, if you look at air yards, look, his air yards are fine. Look, two, like three, two and three years ago, 
like this past year, no, his air yards were down. But two and three years ago, Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, Sammy Watkins. He had push it exactly. down the field. Yeah. And look at who he's going to have now. They're really stacking. They have a lot. They re-signed Josh Gordon. They have a tight end, Darren Fells, who basically can function as an extra offensive and lineman. Joku's got a year under his Joku. belt. And, and Corey Fels Coleman. can catch a ball too. Jarvis Landry. And then Jarvis I mean, look, Landry in yeah. the slot, like he may go, you know, a mil- death by a thousand paper cuts, a million catches for like one yard. But and the Browns, still. you know, the, the book on the Browns is, is not even halfway through because of all those draft choices and what they they're able to They still have four yeah. in the top so, 35 and five if you get to, yeah, to pick 64. It's, it's going to be <laughs> – it is shaping up to uh, to look like it's going to be their division for uh, for quite some time if they can get all these draft picks right. All right, let's shift to just teams as a whole yep. um, and what we saw in strategies and and maybe a couple teams that that really look like they got a lot better because it doesn't happen often through free agency. So we are all, are all talking about Kirk Cousins to the Vikings, but I'm staying in the NFC North and I'm talking about what the Chicago Bears have done. Now you can say Allen Robinson is a rich contract, blah blah blah, but the wide receiver market was what it was. You were paying for you he know, was the number one guy. Yep, and look what Sammy Watkins got, which is the same. And Allen like, and I'd rather have Allen. Yeah, Robinson. exactly. So you're sitting, you're you're setting yourself up with some great pieces that look a lot like where Matt Nagy came from, and that would be the Kansas City Chiefs. So you have your you have your you can create your Travis kind of Kelsey your, is Trey Burton. Yep, you know, that, that Trey Burton's yeah. and by the way, Trey Burton who came from Philadelphia ran the same scheme as they're trying to execute, presumably in right Doug Peterson. Nagy, exactly gotcha. all of that same tree so the learning curve is going to be short so in free agency the best indicator for success and I it's you know I'm, I'm making a generalization but one of the best indicators for success is fit where you came from and fit where you're going if those two things the more they have in common the more overlap the better chances for success quickly the one Makes thing sense, that right? uh, yeah the, I think the one thing the Bears will have to do is figure out that offensive line they, they got to settle that down um, as great as Mitch Trubisky is getting rid of that ball quickly that's kind of where their issues were. It was a little thin. They had a lot of injuries along that offensive line uh, while they've surrounded him with weapons, and I'm sure he's got to be excited about that. It's a solid running game. It looks like that's probably the think, one area where they just got to do a little I bit of work on this. Plenty of time to do that. Yeah, I think you'll see some you know, shuffling here going on because I don't think – they're pretty, pretty disciplined about not over – Overpaying, right? You know, they, they're not. I mean, they had out. to pay for receivers. They just they, they did well because there's no, there's no like the market. Right. That was what the market was. Right. And then the draft is not deep. The draft is not deep for you're either going to use your number seven pick or eight, whatever they have. I think they have seven uh, on Calvin Ridley, or you're going to pay Allen Robinson fifteen to twenty million dollars. And I think you're going to see some of these like the tackle. There's a few tackle like UTEP tackle who could probably go in the second round. That could be a nice pickup for them. He seemed to Hernandez seemed to have a really good combine. Yeah. Um, I think, but people, will, but I just talked to people around yeah. the league. You know, yeah. like, uh, how what like I think people he's going to continue to go up. I just I, I got that sense okay. where he came in like, hey, I was thinking me. that would be a really sick pickup for the Bears in the second round. Or like, it could happen. I mean, look, the draft right. is so pick forty. Yeah, yeah the, no, the draft is crazy. Anything could happen there. Um, but I think because there is such a dearth of of offensive linemen. Um, that yep. you know, teams with needs may end up overreaching anyway. Um, and by the way, so Taylor Chicago, Gabriel, who else? Oh, Taylor, Taylor Gabriel, Gabriel with the Bears as well. Maybe that's the little. I mean, it's not a speedy Tyree kill, like a you know, a, just a guy that can take the top off. A t- guy that can take the, but you know, field speed. Yeah, he's proven it in Atlanta. We yeah. saw the field speed. That could be his Tyree kill. So I'm proud of. I'm not proud, but I'm excited. I'm so for, proud of you. I'm so pace. proud of you. I'm so, proud of, I'm so you. proud of you. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I love those moves. I also thought. Let's I mean, get one more. One more team that you really okay, like the most. Okay, I think the Jags. I think Jacksonville. I Even know. letting go of 
letting go of, of Allen Robinson. Now it looks like Blake's number one receiver is going to be Marquise Lee. You're okay with that. But you, what you like what they did with the offensive Norwell. line with Norwell. I think that sneaking in and stealing Norwell from the Giants, and that is what happened, is one of the like. Cooler... And you weaken. Um, Le- yeah. You're giving Leonard Fournette an opportunity right. to not get blown out in his legs, right? Like, yeah, I guess really the, changes the ability to run. You look at what they want to do. They don't want to throw it all over the place. So yep. if you weaken your passing game by strengthening yep. your run game, that's what they want to do anyway, and that's what worked last year. Right. So, yeah, so it makes sense. it's congruent. Are your, is your strategy congruent? Yes. And then the other one, the other just two notes that I love, yeah. I love Patrick Robinson to, to New Orleans. Slot receivers, he's he's a little older, but as far as slot receiver goes, you can be a little older because you're not asked to sustain speed for as long because of how, the distance of where they're defending people. And he's like top three in the league last year. He's been, had a great year. And I also really liked Richardson to Washington. I think that was a cool Paul Richardson from Seattle to Washington. The yak, the, up, the upside for him in that situation is like – I, I think going to be pay dividends for the Redskins. I can't remember what he stole at UCLA that he got thrown out. It was like a backpack or something. He ended up, uh, it was like a really weird deal. It wasn't something that. substantial, but yeah, I got booted out, <laughs> went to Colorado <laughs> super fast. Heck, I mean, I hate to bring it up. I mean, it's so long ago. I'm not right. saying that as some sort of character attack on the guy. I just remember it was like a really weird deal. Um, what led to his getting kicked out of school. All right. Uh, let's go to the spots that you don't necessarily like what you see, or at say, least you're confused huh? right. with what they're doing. I'm not sure what's going on yet. You can't see a cohesive strategy coming together. You can't see something that logically, at least yet. I know what my number sense. one is. Yours is Miami. No. 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 Who? It's Arizona. Yeah. In what gotcha. world do you let go of Tyron Matthew? That makes like to me that's just crazy. There, there's something they know that that we don't. But man, that is one of the most exciting. Uh, dynamic, can play all over. The, I mean, that's a guy that can play in Imagine the box. Imagine if, if they had known he was going to be, like, how the – because Tremaine Johnson had to fall before any of the other right. corners could not fall. But, you know, he had to get land somewhere before all the other ones could because he could set the market price, right? So that's why you saw Patrick Robinson going later. Imagine if people had known Tyron Matthew yeah. were going to be in the market. Like, it's that's going to be different for defensive He can play backs. high safety. He can get in the box. He can – I mean, you see what the guy does. I just don't – when you – the same day, and I know a lot of people tweeted this out, it was the typical, you know, reaction. Action. You mean to tell me the day you hand 15 million bucks to Sam Bradford and Mike Glennon is the day you decide you're not going to give uh, Tyron Matthew $12.5 million? It's just it's crazy to me that you would let that guy walk. So go ahead. I understand, especially since if you look at who they're defending and they're like, like think about the wide receivers they have right. to face twice a year. Just the dynamic offenses. To be able to have a chess piece <laughs> like that, you know, a queen that can move around yep. at anywhere you want against – Kyle Shanahan offense against Sean McVay offense against Russell Wilson. You I'm know, not as mad about the Bradford one though. No, no, like, I'm just you saying you had to do that. Yeah, I get you have to get a quarterback. I just don't know why it's at the expense of that guy. That's crazy. I wonder if they're. I mean, someday maybe they're worried we'll find about medical. Out. If they're, I don't know. Someday I, maybe we'll find out. I have no idea. Um, by the way, one thing I did want to say is that I really do like what the Titans are doing, creating Patriot South. So they're <laughs> yes, essentially taking Patriot South, and that's a good one. And we could talk about that another time. But they're 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 making some great moves. Give me one so. you don't like. You said Miami. That was the first uh, yeah, word out you of your know mouth. What? Well, I don't like the Giants either. Uh, the Giants Let's are go to Miami because okay. Miami, Miami, I think, is the biggest one. I mean, you've got yeah. some productive players. 
um, gone. that appear Pouncey's to be leaving. Gone now too right. today, as Pouncey, of this morning. Pouncey, Sue, Sue, Landry. I mean, dudes that can play football. The Landry one's interesting to me because let's just say Landry was so you were franchise tagging for sixteen million, and then you seemingly replace the slot with two players. One Albert Wilson. That's a lot of money, which to give is Albert eight. Wilson. Yeah. yeah, and then you got Danny Amendola for like six, so you save two million overall. But now you've pieced together two players. One's older. Now I do. I actually kind of like the, the Amendola pickup overall because you need some like veterans in the locker room on offense because it seems like you know their their receivers are kind of young. This seems like they, there's a lot of confusion. Maybe this guy can help sort of stabilize some of the playbook, but. I don't know if you do that with an eight million dollar Albert Wilson. That that's where I got. That's, yeah, it's, that's it, where I got confused. They're really good players. I mean, I, I I my my opinion of that is if you can't control your locker room, then man, figure it out. It's not but, control. But, it's but that's what it, that's kind of what we keep hearing coming out of there is got to change the culture, got to change the attitude, got to change. Like, isn't that like always a thinly veiled attempt to be like, I need to restructure? See, to me, to me, I would just say they don't fit what I want to do. See, what I hear is that. The guy before me made some weird deals, and I'm trying to create a situation where the cap chemistry, what the financial chemistry matches the on-field chemistry. But you kind of can't do that because the guy who did that's still there. You know what I mean? Right. That's <laughs> so, a good point. So it's your boss is the guy your who boss, yes. the guy who like you know is writing those deals is still yeah. there. So, but like the Sue contract is crappy. I mean, Sue's a good player, and I'm sure it's, if he had taken a, like if his contract weren't where it was. It would be a difference. I don't think that they were like, we hate him. We don't think he's good. I think that they say, hey, like this contract's ridiculous and it can't be restructured. It, like, it, 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 it bled us for a long time. Well, it'll depend what it's replaced with, right? Yep. That's that's ultimately what it comes down. If you say the contract's too big, much like we just detailed with Arizona, hey, we wanted him to yep. take a pay cut. Okay, well, what are you replacing it with? Yep. So let's see what you're replacing it with and then we'll decide whether or not that contract was too big because he's going to get a big deal. And Dominican oh, Sue's yeah. going to get a yeah, absolutely. big he's money get deal, a big deal in the free market. He's definitely going to get a big deal. And good for him. Go get paid. But, like, you know, you can't, like, pay everyone yeah. all at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, that just doesn't work. So, to me, that the Miami is like, yeah, okay, we, we, we are in a bad cap space, so we got to try to figure this out. My last one, though. Yes. Um, The Giants. So, actually, well, the Baltimore receivers, I don't know what's going Pick on. Pick one. Here. Okay, I'm not Giants. giving you two. got to get to A-Rod here. Giants. Why? New York, it's a good segue for A-Rod. But ultimately, of course. you know. I mean, what don't you like? I'm confused that, I mean, they, they kind of overpaid for Solder after losing out on Norwell. It feels as though Gettleman wrote a contract with Norwell thinking because of the, you know, the he knew him in Carolina and thinking he could, like, figure it out and create the right, like, get him for as little as possible type of scenario. And then it didn't work out, so then it ended up kind of maybe potentially paying Solder more than you had anticipated paying for Norwell, and I don't know if that nets you in the right spot. Now, it does move Eric Flowers from left tackle, presumably, which is probably a good thing overall for Eli, but it's... They can sign someone else to move Eric Flowers completely out. That would be an even better Yeah, that situation. would be. <laughs> yeah. So, I, that, so that, to me, is right. the And then, the like, the Jonathan Stewart, you're like, okay, yeah, and then are you going to... Like, you're probably not going to get Saquon Barkley. I don't think... Doesn't I think, seem like Gettleman's the kind of guy that's going to do that. No. So, I'm... So, how about this? So, let's say... And then are you going to pay Odell? Well, but how about this? Let's say, just quickly, and then we'll go to A-Rod here. Yes. Let's say you sign Nate Solder, and wouldn't it be a total Gettleman move to draft Quentin Nelson? So here you go. Boom. Left side of the line. It's now set. Eli, you're safe. You don't have to worry about getting hit. You can throw the ball all over the place. Get your running back in the second round, be it Geis, be it Sony Michelle, be it Ronald Jones, whoever it may be, to then pair with your thumper in Jonathan Stewart, and you can have someone that's a little more active. Maybe that 
and so it's not the it's not the prettiest, it's not the sexiest draft, but it could be a very be a functional, draft, right? it could effective be functional, draft. It could be effective. My only my only problem is, and it's not a problem, but my only like question mark is is, would you be, are you are you okay? You paid a lot for your defense. Now, like you have some questions there too. Like where are you, like what are you gonna like which ones? I just wonder where are you gonna go? Just to, just I I just wonder if. Quentin Nelson is is the highest rated player in the draft on a lot of people's boards. Yes, um, and by the way, and, he, and I it's do a position think of inside need. the tackle positions who are usually not high. Usually, it's like uh, you know outside the tackle positions that are getting paid, getting drafted high, getting everything. Sure. But this year, the it's really shifted, and I think inside the tackle, you know, opportunities are. Change, like it's just a different like when's the t- last time you even heard about like an inside linebacker being talked about in the top eight right not a lot doesn't happen a lot Keekley no. was kind of the last time we correct. had this conversation and guess what people should have drafted him higher than they did correct you know? but but, but, it's but like, you're right you know they I mean? are devalued like the, the paradigm is shifting and yeah. I think you're going to see those inside the tackle numbers being more valued all right you talked to A-Rod at the Sloan I conference did. here it is you know what's funny we're here in Boston <laughs> And I don't actually, I'm not, I don't even need to introduce you like properly because if you don't know who this is, you probably shouldn't be listening to the podcast. You probably shouldn't be watching this video and maybe you're not a sports fan, <laughs> but we are here in Boston. We're actually at Harvard University right now, but we're here in Boston where you made your major league debut in 1994 with the Mariners, but here in Boston was where you actually debuted. You That's were, right. I don't want to say your age, but it's, you know, you were not quite legal to drink. Definitely By three don't years. date me. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely no. Definitely not. But thank you so much for joining the pod. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Not only are you one of the most elite baseball players of all time, but I actually love how you've transitioned into both media and business in such a flawless way where you're also elite mm-hmm. in all of this. So my first question is actually, is there something you're not elite at? Uh, tons. <laughs> Just ask my daughter. She'll tell you. Your daughters. Yeah. They, so they're, you're you're they're, also their stylist, though, is what I hear. That, but I'm also, they're also my biggest critics in social media. So they'll literally text me and say, Dad, that was the corniest post. Take it down. <laughs> do you and take it, it down? Yeah. Well, if it has to do with them, I always take it down. <laughs> if it has to do with me, maybe 50-50. <laughs> maybe 50-50. Great. So one of my favorite things when, when I was studying you, when, you know, obviously Major League Baseball was the first and the most prevalent in terms of using analytics. They're mm-hmm. the most developed. They're the most kind of, there's so much information on you and you're used in so many models as like mm-hmm. the prototype, which is pretty rad. And one of my favorite things to know is how a player feels about that. Like, how do you feel about all of the different advanced analytics from that standpoint? Boy, I mean, it's such a broad question. I mean, first of all, I played for, you know, almost 23 years in the major league. So I guess there's a lot of data out there. <laughs> a um, lot. <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is data has been a lot around a lot longer than people think. And the really great teams were already playing sabermetrics baseball. They were being patient. They would strike you out. Um, they played more base-to-base, and they had three-run homer. Um, if you think about the Oakland A's back in the 80s or the Yankees back in the 90s, uh, the Red Sox in the mid-2000s, um, now I think they've just basically trademarked it, and it's called sabermetrics, big data, algorithms, whatever you want to call it. But it's been going on for a while. So did you feel like, did it bother you? Did, it, did you like it? Did it? I mean, for you, it's probably great, right? Because when you're elite and you're one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time, then you have good numbers on you, but you know, did did you get a sense of what all players sort of felt like it about it? Well, not all the numbers are good, so <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't know that I'm also fifth all time in the history of strikeouts. 
However, I am happy to say that Mike. You have, to have a lot of out at bats. <laughs> Reggie right? Jackson's number one, so <laughs> that makes me feel better. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm a baseball nerd. I love numbers. Uh, I love baseball so much. So you can't give me enough information because I love it all, and I just try to absorb it, and then I try to analyze it and think about it. But if I, if I think about being an owner of all the businesses, or think of being a leader, or think about being in sports, um, while I look at numbers, uh, there's plenty of folks in my office that run models and are an, an analysts. My job is to ask why. Mm-hmm. My job when I go on television is to explain why that happened. You know, they don't pay me on television to go out and tell you uh, to read models or spreadsheets or P&Ls. But they do pay me to go out and explain something, why something happened as clearly as possible. And you crush that as well. <laughs> Thanks. No, I, you know, I'm, I've often, I've actually said this to you before, so it's not your first time hearing this, but typically there's an inverse relationship between how good a player is when they played and how good they are at broadcasting, right? Like if you're a great player, sometimes you just can't relate to the broadcast because either you're kind of over everyone's head so deep in the game or you're just kind of quiet and it's maybe not your thing, but you've been, it was so seamless in the mm. transition. That's, I think you remember me saying that to you, right? I think well, it was like I, a Super I did, Bowl last thank year. Thank you. And I think you do a great job oh. as as well uh, obviously a big fan of your work uh, going back to your ESPN days but I think one of the, the angles that you and I come at it from the same lens and I think we go at it is we go from the top to the bottom and we appreciate both and they're both very important but I think explaining at a big level at a macro level what numbers do and how they work uh, and really explain it at, at a micro level um, I think it's pretty unique and it's also fun doing it. And then when you're transitioning that into spinning it forward into your business world, you talked about P&Ls, which mm-hmm. profit and loss statements, it's mm-hmm. business term. It's basically like a spreadsheet for mm-hmm. business owners, right? So when you're going into your transition into the business world, have you found any parallels between you know using data in a way when you're playing and when you're talking about on TV and with business? Like, Explain that a little bit. Well, I think big data, it's super important, and we put a lot of value in it. I think it also um, helps us see what trends are doing, um, where they're going, what, what's, what's the kind of the trailing 12 and, uh, and beyond that. But I think for me, it's, again, going out and explaining why and understanding why. So whether we own apartments and rents are trending up or down, uh, I want to know why. Um, if customers, one thing is that we own a company called True Fusion, and it, it's exploded. We've gone from 10 gyms to over 150, including China, in just seven months. But be, we had lines going out the, at the, at the door yesterday. So one thing is to read a P&L at the end of the month. The other thing is to go there and ask people, why are you coming back? Why do you love it so much? And I think that part, for me, as kind of the leader that's for me one of the most important things to put this whole thing together. I love that I saw, I mean, I've heard you say it before, but I love a quote that I saw where you were, you said something like, I've never been afraid to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then ask for help or ask for, like you say, why and what's mm-hmm. the why behind it? I guess, you know, let's bring it back just a little bit, like in general to, you know, your business days, like how are you applying that today? You know, like the, where's the, where are the whys? What trends are you seeing? Like mm-hmm. you talked about, you know, you're in real estate and you're in gyms and you're in like, how are you figuring out which companies to go back and learn more about? Yeah. So a few things. So, I mean, A-Rod Corp has three silos. We have a fully integrated real estate company. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a health and wellness division, and then we have media and entertainment. And we generally get into things we really understand really well. We usually invest in things that we're more than just capital. We want to make sure that, A, we understand it, we're passionate about it, 
and our brands can actually move, uh, you know, earnings and whether we can have our team come in there with our intelligence and our experience and actually help the management team uh, kind of really put the ball in the end zone. So I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're looking at it, kind of going back to the baseball days, like which front offices employ some of those business strategies that you, you know, that you've made so successful for yourself, like which baseball front offices or even football front offices, if you are familiar with them. Uh, I'll stick to baseball because it's kind of my wheelhouse. Right, figured. <laughs> if, if, Cynthia, if you asked me that question 15 years ago, I would say the Red Sox, the Yankees, Oakland A's, and, and a few others, but those three stick out to me. Uh, if you move the, play the movie forward to today, mm-hmm. of the 30 teams, you can probably say 25 are being run exactly the same way. Uh, players are being uh, appraised exactly the same way. And while 20 years ago, maybe you had one Ivy Leaguer in, <laughs> in all of baseball being president, GM, today you probably have you know Ivy Leaguers represented in all 30 teams and are running teams more like hedge funds and private equity than baseball. But to me, that creates a blind spot. And that blind spot is if you can blend the two, and I think Dave Dombrowski's one, mm-hmm. Theo Epstein is two, mm-hmm. that have done a fantastic job of blending the two. Um, while sabermetrics is super important, it's still a human game, right? If you think about numbers, you play 200 games in 232 days, which means, you know, you have 30 days off. No, 15 of those days, half those days, you're traveling. You're arriving late to hotels in the middle of the night. And some days you feel good, some days you, feel you don't, right? And again, anytime we make a huge adjustment, we go from raw baseball to sabermetrics, mm-hmm. the pendulum goes way too far to the right. Totally. And I think it's somewhere kind of maybe at the 70% mark that the blend is just a perfect fit. We talked, we did, we're really lucky on this pod. We get a chance to talk to a number of different people from, you know, basketball to football and now baseball. And it's so funny. Everyone talks about the blending, the kind of figuring out the human element with the numbers element. Well, successful people actually Mm -hmm. do that. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what unites the successful people from what we found. And for me, I term that empathy. So one of the things I personally study is like the empathy in relating to your players, the empathy in relating to you know, the, the challenges of front office in football, it's a little different from baseball because we, we have a hard cap and a hard floor mm-hmm. Whereas baseball, you, the numbers that, you know, the salary is vastly different for each team. So I also saw another quote that you said about keeping grounded and about gratitude and appreciation. When someone offers you a job, you thank the Lord that you have work and you beg for more work, mm-hmm. which is like, I love that quote. And I love the empathy kind of factor that you speak about in baseball. Just talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, interestingly enough, before I served my suspension, uh, you know, for the folks at home that don't know, I served the longest suspension in Major League history in 2014 for PED use. And, you know, one of the things, Cynthia, that I did while I was uh, serving my suspension, uh, I broke the, the, the year into three. And it was really a blessing that I had the full year to kind of rebuild this thing one step at a time. Like I'm in construction and uh, in real estate and one of the things we do is we rehab homes. You know, mm-hmm. we do windows, we do roofs, we do toilets, we fix. This did not need uh, rehab. This need, I tore the whole house down and I realized that I needed to build it one brick at a time. And the other part of that kind of third things that I wanted to work on was the middle spot which I wanted to turn the lens inward and really get a full understanding why I made the mistakes that I made and also come back out of this whole thing a different person. 
and really have appreciation and being grateful. To think about being one of 750 and to wear a Yankee uniform and to hit third in the lineup and then to hit 33 home runs as a 40-year-old after two hip surgeries and two knee surgeries, that's all I needed to, to know for me. So that was a big win to come back and finish like a champion. I really, that was an amazing answer and thank you for your honesty mm-hmm. and vulnerability. I'm going to switch it just a little gears sure. a little bit on you because you said, because you. <laughs> you said a 40 year old and you, I saw you at the Super Bowl <laughs> and I saw you watch that 40 year old. Um, you know, unfortunately that 40 year old didn't end up winning, but he still made it to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're watching football games now, do you, it, are you a fan or do you get into it or kind of when you, when you're in, you know, the Super Bowl or you're watching and you're like, okay, this is actually one where we're going to see what happens. I mean, is that your fandom? I'm much rather be in a world series because baseball is my first love, Mm -hmm. but I love watching football as well. And and what I do love watching is my friends and people that I've grown up watching. Mm -hmm. So I watch, I follow great players, great people and great stories. I love underdogs. Uh, and, And that's why I think some of these great, like Chris Collinsworth, just does a fantastic job of what I think is taking the helmet off the player mm-hmm. and really bringing in some amazing stories that make me connect to that player, some human stories. Absolutely. So Tom, I've known for over 15 or 18 years. I'm not name dropping. He, he's a friend. I love Tommy. And, and what a great role model he's been, not only for other athletes, but anybody who is just, this guy is just amazing. And even by not winning uh, nine Super Bowls, five five championships and throws over 500 yards in the last game he was amazing it wasn't tom's fault that it never is tom's fault no it's it is never you heard it here it is never (laughs) tom's fault um i'm i have two last fun questions because i really appreciate your time and i know you had a chance to speak to the harvard business school students so um i'll let you chill before doing that um little known fact i don't know if everybody knows but what position did you play in football in high school quarterback yeah okay yeah um dan marino is my favorite player and that's why i wear 13 Okay, because of Dan Marino. You wear number Dan 13 Marino. because of Dan I love, Marino. I love Danny Boy. But you're, are you a Miami fan? I'm a Miami, yeah. I mean, I was until he retired, and then I don't follow as much. Like, I Got used it. to watch the Orioles because of Cal Ripken. And, I had and now you can't favorites. be an Orioles You can't be an Orioles fan. No, I can't be an Orioles fan. Like, you cannot be a Boston fan. You, there's, you just yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just can't, right? Um, and Miami, I hear, was interested in potentially you may have had – an opportunity to play quarterback there is what I hear. Yeah, not only that, but you know, I, I signed from. Th- I went Westminster High School. I got drafted by the Mariners. I got demoted five times in one year, five times. I remember driving home, and we were in Seattle. AAA was Tacoma, so I drove down for about forty-five minutes. On the way home, I'm like, I'm in tears. I call my mom, and I say, Mom, this is when Plan B comes into effect. So I'm going to go back to the University of Miami, quit baseball, and go be a quarterback and play. I couldn't play baseball. I could only play quarterback. Um, obviously, my eligibility was gone, right, Right. for baseball. So she said, and of course, I was 18 years old. I lived with my mom. My mom was like, I'm changing the locks. You better not come back. Buckle, buckle up <laughs> and get it right. And uh, thank God my mom gave me some pretty good advice. I mean, I, that's incredible advice. I love that. And then I have to ask, just finish on this sure. note. Um, what is your favorite J-Lo song? Ah, that's a great question. Um, you only get to pick one. I would say uh, I would say Jenny from the Block. Yeah. 
we're going she back. She keeps it real. Yeah, she keeps she it real. She keeps it real. Yeah. That might be my favorite one yeah. too. I also like I'm real, but I'm only saying one. You got to come to the show. I was just at the show last night in Vegas. Let's you guys it. all got to come. Let's go. We got to go. Yeah. That's an invite. Open invite. All of you out there, <laughs> come. Thank you so much for your time. I really okay. appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Cynthia. And I do want to mention here, he is not the only big name that you had a chance to catch up with out there at Sloan. We're going to be sprinkling them in uh, throughout the next couple weeks mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. pay attention. It's an impressive list. Do you want to tease maybe who we might hear from next week? You know, I think maybe next week we'll probably do a little basketball theme okay. and go for the Brad Stevens, Daryl Morey. Okay. Maybe even find some you know Golden State Warriors love in there somehow. How about that? We will get that next week. So there's A-Rod. Now let's keep the football theme going with Chris Cooley. I'm sitting here with the Redskins' all-time leading tight end in receptions, Chris Cooley. Is that your favorite stat about yourself? It, it, by far, my favorite <laughs> stat about myself. Is it? Um, no, actually, since we're talking about that, hi. Hi, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's cool, but it's not that many receptions, so it's just other tight ends, you know, didn't necessarily have that many more. Well, you had what, I see 429, that as a record 429, right? It, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I see that as a very breakable record. Okay. And I hope someone breaks it. I mean, I feel like we're going to get into this in a minute because this pod's obviously a little bit more about, like, numbers and strategy based on numbers. So we'll talk about, like, the evolution of the tight end position. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you kind of put it in its time, I don't – I mean, even now, that's – Jordan Reed's not going to break it. How do you know? I hope he does. I love Jordan no, Reed. Oh, I'm not saying and I you know hope what? he doesn't, but I think I don't He know. needs to break it because <laughs> he needs to break it because that means the Redskins have a good player and I'm you know, I want the team to win. Well, so Absolutely. How do you feel about your new quarterback? Alex Smith? Do you have numbers That's on him? One. Just a few, like He's thousands. 33. He's 33. Are you 33? <laughs> I'm older than that. Okay, yeah. Um, I should have played quarterback, right? I could I know, still play. I was about Jeez, to say. Ladies. I like Alex Smith. There was a lot that went with went through the last couple of years of what Kirk could have gotten, what they should have paid him, should he have been there, should he not. I like to look at the Alex Smith trade as its own entity. Mm-hmm. We're not getting Kirk Cousins next year, so how do you like Alex Smith? Like I hate having to compare him to Kirk Cousins and are they the same or I like Alex Smith. I think mm-hmm. he does some things really well. I think Jay Gruden will have to strategize a little bit differently than he did with Kirk Cousins, especially in third down situations. Mm-hmm. But he's a good guy. Everyone I've, I've been around that's, that's been a part of organizations he's been in loves him. Talked to Andy Reid for, for 10 minutes about him last night. Amazing guy. So I'm excited about that. They get a good player that's so important right now in the NFL to have a guy that can execute because you're trying to do so many things in your system and you got to have a guy that can operate for you and you got to have a guy that can give your other players a chance and Alex will do that. All right, so let's go back to you for a second here. So 2004 draft class, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. just making sure we're yeah. here. Utah State, Yeah. that's where you went. How did you feel coming from a sm- like a smaller school in terms of you know, presence on the on the in the combine or on the field necessarily, and then going into the draft ahead of the draft. Like I didn't belong, to some extent. Okay. Uh, like I didn't fit in necessarily. I only had one good year at Utah State. I didn't start until the end of my junior year, and so it was really a whirlwind for me. And this was intimidating. I do remember that. 
well, first of all, I think the interviews and the interview process and everything that goes into the first three days, the psych testing, all that stuff, I think it's it's way more important than Agreed. A, a lot of the stuff on the field. Agreed. But there's also that small school guy that you can't evaluate against top-level talent, mm-hmm. and now he runs, as his, let's just say tight end, for example, a 4-6-1 or a 4-5-9, and you're saying, wow, we loved him on tape against smaller schools, and now look at this guy move. That helps those guys. Now I ran a four eight six, I think, so that one, that really didn't help me that much. We're not but gonna, um, we're not talk about that. I spent three days worrying about the last day, and the things that go into the first three days and all this time spent with coaches are so beneficial, not just for this draft, but for the rest of their career because they're not going to remember the coaches. I didn't remember the coaches or the scouts or a lot of the people that I talked to. But they're documenting all those meetings and all those things. And so when you get into free agency and your second contract or you get to where someone's thinking about trading for you or you're cut. Or when this coach goes to that team and this goes yeah, over here. So those guys that you don't even remember remember you and they might have had a great interaction with you and some time spent with you. And so this is a big benefit to the players that get invited. So just a really quick question or a really quick level set for our audience. So. In addition to the stuff that we see happening on NFL Network, we also you get a chance to have meetings like at the hotel with with the team, and they talk to you for like fifteen minutes, and they ask you some questions like anything. I don't know what did they ask you like formations? They ask you to look at plays, maybe right? The teams that I like the most, the players that I think benefit the most, are the ones that sit down. It can be formal or informal because the informal is with position coaches that are going to coach them, and they they're. That's important, but sit down with the team. They talk to the head coach face to face. They have a conversation. Talk ball. Like that, that's what I told all the tight ends this week. Find a way to talk ball. Mm-hmm. They want players that can talk about football, that know their scheme, that know their system, that we're willing to learn and understand because those are the players that they can coach. So let's talk about a little bit about the evolution of the tight end position. So 04 to now, there's a there's been a pretty big difference. You see a lot of teams using their lining up in all different places. They're being used as wide receiver in many schemes. Can I talk to us about like what it was then and what you see now? It's evolving because coaches are understanding that they can do something else with them, and it, and it's a copycat league. And well, and so also like what's the top of the like, the top wow. of the tight ends like nine million, the top of the wide receivers like fifteen million. <laughs> right. So market dynamics what's probably more play there. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, wow. Bill Belichick took Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, and look what they did, and it worked. We can do that. Just have some guts and have some creativity, and and that can evolve. I was really fortunate because Joe Gibbs came back to coach, and and I was drafted by Joe Gibbs, and he had the H back in his system, which is the right. move around player. And so I, I've I've heard so many people say this player is like an H back or like you. I don't know. It's the system that you're in and the coach that you're in, and different players can fit different molds, and I fit that mold, and that was it was perfect for me. But it is amazing how it's evolved and 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 how it's moving to. You know, a guy that moves everywhere. But I think just as much as that, they don't block in college the same way that they block in the NFL. And so you're trying to teach someone something new, completely new, that they haven't done. And that's really hard to do. And then lastly, they're only allotted 15 padded practices during the season. And they only have – their training camps don't have two-a-days. And I have no problem with that, by the way. I mean, you didn't like two-a-days. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like them, but I'm not saying this younger generation. I'm, but what I am saying is you can't teach a young player to learn how to block when you only have half the training camp pad of practices and 15 total pad of practices. So what are you going to do with this exceptionally athletic guy? Move him. 
do you think that, so you were a wrestler and you played baseball. I'm guessing your baseball career didn't help as much with football, but did your wrestling career help you with oh, blocking? Well, first of all, I love when guys play baseball because it teaches them situational awareness. It, it, it's so lacking in football to understand, like, down a distance, clock, what's going on. In a baseball, there's a reset every single play. Like, two down, where's, where's, the, where's the play, you know? What do we throw? What's our pitcher throwing? So is he throwing? Is he going to try to work outside here? Where am I going to move in the outfit? I don't know. It was so, so you love analytics so. is basically what you're saying. Yeah, Context you can't analytics. Make analy you can't make football analytics. You can't. Um, you cannot. Why not? But we're still talking about other things. Okay, fi um, fix that, and then we're going to go to football analytics. Yeah, wrestling helps, helps you in a lot of ways. I think with blocking, right? Yeah, with blocking, with competitive nature, with discipline, with a lot of things, yeah. Leverage. Probably leverage. Probably a better understanding of leverage. Yeah. I was actually, it helped me not get tackled. So I never like, ran someone over. That didn't happen ever. I was not the guy that I was tell like, you? Bah! I could not do that. I just absorbed contact better than most people. Mm -hmm. And that was from wrestling. So is someone's trying to get your legs. So do you think if you any of these guys a have a, do they have, if they have a wrestling background, do you think given the lack of padded practices and all the things that you named before, do you think maybe it's a tiny advantage them or something to at least put in their profile? I think as a all other sports are an advantage in some mm -hmm. way. And I like guys that play other sports and I hate the evolution of high school and we're going to focus on football. Right. And, and high school football coaches that do that to their kids, in my opinion, are not good enough coaches because it's really it, uh, it hurts them to not be able to play other sports if they want to play other sports. It makes them better football players to play. A lot of tight ends played basketball, is what I've noticed. Uh, yeah, and there's mm -hmm. a there's a lot of skills from a basketball from basketball that help out in football. Okay, so, well. so why why isn't football analytics? What, what's the you don't like contextual data? You because don't like nobody actually context. knows what nobody that knows. team's doing, but the team that does. week besides the team. So the team can have analytics on their own team. Mm -hmm. But even the best coaches will tell you when they watch film the next week or they'll sit and debate when they're game planning, what do you think they called here? What do you think that protection was? How do we attack it? They don't know because they don't know the language or the call that went into those things. They could call and ask. But if you don't know, you them. can't grade. Okay, so Baseball is different. Okay, be careful. Yeah, I mean, you, be careful with the word grade because analytics to me is contextual data, right? So grading something is my subjective lens saying you get an A, yeah, you get a B, yeah, you get a C yeah. or whatever the number you, system you want to use is, right? But you can say something like every time they've lined up in 11 personnel on a go route, this is the amount of separation they've had. And you don't even need to know if they're in man or zone, right? Like they, you don't even need to know because in theory it'll blend up an average over a time, right? What if they're playing cover two? Then you then you note that. You can you can And they get jammed to death on the line of scrimmage because the corner has no threat over the top and all he's gonna do is just maul the guy on the ball. So So he so you know what I'm saying? Like so you he, can, he it's not that your receiver's not that good. The corner can commit fully to five yards and just jamming you to death. He's got nothing to worry about over the top. But you what if you can put that column in there and kind of factor that in? So if you're you know, if it's Xavier Rhodes is your corner versus someone who's not as good as Xavier Rhodes, then you also have to factor in the fact that this is a better corner or this is one that's maybe not as, you know, experienced or as successful. So I, you don't think you could, like, it I just takes it a lot of work. I think it can be a tool. I Thank think you. it can be a tool. Right. It's not the end-all, be-all. But but in baseball, I think it can be more of a tool. I think that you can... Well, they can, only have one thing happening can, at once, typically. Right. right. I think that you can... And there's not... Other than signs, but you... 
you know, there's not a lot of what are we doing here? What were they doing here? It's very straightforward. I think in basketball, you can use analytics a lot, too. Absolutely. I think basketball can be very, very analytical, especially in the NBA. I think it's hard in football. But I do, I will agree with you. Um, a team can put an analytic system in, in their own format and I think use it because mm-hmm. of what they, because of how they operate. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, I'm, first of all, I'm very pro analytics. Except in football. Except I don't think they work in football. We're, we're going to keep going on this. I'm going to come on your four hour show and we'll take like, we'll get rid of your whole audience because we're going to talk math for four hours. Okay. <laughs> That's, uh, no, you know what? I don't you. care. That's, yeah. You know what? That sounds great. Okay, perfect. Um, my last question for you, and this is a fun one. Um, so you're. I thought we were going to do more analytics. Oh, you want to do more analytics? You would, yeah, we can, we, whatever. We well, can do whenever. We can do, what about things like. I'm very open-minded, so I'll I like listen, it. I'll listen so you to talked you. about breaking tackles. We'll do one more with analytics. You talk about breaking tackles. You, can I chart that? Do you think that's possible for me, who had never played football? Do you think it's possible for me to see how many broken tackles somebody has? Yes, it's very possible. But do you think that could be something that helps like characterize a player then? Could be, yeah. Okay, yeah. so maybe there's one. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I gotta keep getting a paycheck. That. What do you want me to not have a job anymore? It's it's funny. There are a lot of things you you could you can 100 percent chart, but then you have to start to get into the bait of like what exactly is a broken tackle? Like, did someone trip a little bit? Did someone fall? What do I need to do? Like, uh, here's a good example in that, like in the in the physical side of it. Do you know how it felt so good when I was blocking somebody and <clears throat> over they went and you call that like a pancake block? I don't think one time I ever went back and watched film and they didn't trip on somebody else's leg. Like I didn't actually do it, but it looks like it, right? So like there's so many little like nuanced things that go into like did someone stumble into the broken tackle? Did you make them like did you just run through it? Like how do you evaluate? Drops are even hard because like, was the quarterback's timing off? Was the receiver's timing off on an incompletion? So there's some things that, that get really hard. I had this conversation with Amani Toomer last, last night forever. Like, oh. what exactly, how do you call, like, what is a drop? So now, he, if he hits a guy square in the hands, yeah, it's, it's a drop. So here, here's kind of my answer to that, right? Don't you think that if the same set of eyes is watching the films, the film, and I say I characterize it as a drop, am I going to be, pretty much equally wrong or at least like within uh you know because like even an interception's not always a real interception like it i actually up. think they should put interceptions on a team and then only the quarterback ones on the quarterback sometimes like if you correct if i batted a ball up in the air that's what I'm the saying. quarterback hit me in like, the chest boom like in the super bowl no that's like also jeffrey hit it back into the field right it was like, like a really awkward good throw like, right right so you gotta pay the price on that right well you can re- you can look at it then right it doesn't necessarily like i can go back and be like okay that doesn't really count right, right? and if you had your football analytics system and you're looking at trading for Nick Foles clearly you're going to look into that a little bit more correct so I guess the point is is like maybe it could be like directive so that the people who know how to watch football are like figuring out where to look right like do you know what I'm saying like if you because if a guy breaks a lot of tackles and or if a guy you know tackles people and it looks like a pancake and they're always stumbling you'll see it on film but how do I know if I've if I'm not as familiar with a the player then it kind of gives you a little right. bit of it gives you a little bit of right. narrowing down to like a few yeah. high quality options as yeah. opposed to many questionable quality options I understand um, to sum it all up I guess in my opinion I do not like the I played so I know philosophy I I hate that when what I'm trying to do with the coaches is basically say even the best coaches don't know what someone else is doing. So it's 100%. not like it's not like 
I think a lot of fans know a lot about football. Yeah. And they're really, really Absolutely. smart. But I'm still not sure whether Alshon Jeffrey against Minnesota was a double move when he scored a touchdown, like a dagger or a deep in and take off, or if they actually made it happen off schedule. And I've had that debate with a bunch of coaches here today, unless you ask Doug, go, Doug, Doug Nick, right? Someone on the offense. See, I, I guess you can't my, know for sure. But if it was, it was the best double move ever I've ever seen. Right. And a quarterback that works one side of the field to just step and go, here we go. Like, right. wow. But I mean, in, so yeah, in so reality, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish someone setting an analytic on anything in any no, way, shape or form. I was thinking more in terms of if you're really like if you're using it to do everything. No, but it, it kind of gives you a better idea. Like my whole goal Who's is the to, best analytic player that you have. Who like. Who Who's you, the best player? Like what's, what's your from favorite? An what's your favorite analytic? What's my favorite? So, like to me, there's like many, right? Like, so if you're looking at tight ends specifically, you yeah, could create sure. like a blend of people who you know force missed tackles, they force the people to miss. There's a blend of how often they receive the ball, where are they lining up? Like, there you have to blend and you have to do it for context. So, you know, Gronk's easy because he like is easy to see, but Zach Ertz is a lot more fun for me because it takes me a little more to to figure out what how they're using him mm -hmm. right so it, it's it's more it's all about contextualizing the data so that it's not just a stat right mm -hmm. like it's it's just like okay well let's narrow it down so that it's not like like i don't know what doug peterson called on a play and i don't know if it got messed up in his hand like doug peterson didn't know how nick Foles felt throwing that ball no i want right? to know what he saw yeah i'd love to know yeah. but like you but you don't right so in reality it's like well where did they start and what happened and how can we narrow down it so that you have a better take on the strategy for the next play that's kind of where I like. Tendencies. Yeah. So important. So important. So important. So important. Thank you so much for your time. You're Such a boring personality. I mean. Isn't he just. I was going to like give him some coffee to see if I could wake him up, yeah. but it didn't seem like, you know. Yeah. Maybe next time. Next time. Maybe next time he can have a little energy. And uh, and now from Chris Cooley, we go to the uh, the sweet Southern charm of Chad Pennington. I'm so lucky to be joined by Chad Pennington, 11 year quarterback veteran in the league. Thank you so much for stopping Thank by. You. I know they're like parading you around here, so <laughs> I know because I did a little homework on you, and I know you like big GPA guy. Oh, so yeah. you know we're, we're the smart podcast. So okay, this I should be the be highlight of, of your awesome. uh, the highlight of your day, right? No question. <laughs> Academics very important. <laughs> so as we transition from combine where we're sitting right now to draft season. What were you thinking? I mean, you ended up being an 18th overall pick. Right. And right, like what's going through your mind right now? Or not yours, Well, um, it, it's all about positioning yourself in the best light, putting your best foot forward. For me, as a mid-major player, I didn't have the film of a Power 5 conference school. So the combine, the pro day, the interviews, that was game day for me. That was where I really had to show these organizations that I was worthy and had the value that they're looking for in a quarterback. And so it was a big-time process and an important process for me. So you brought up the mid-major. So you went to Marshall, just a level mm -hmm. set for everyone listening in case they didn't remember. Right. And when you're coming from the smaller school and you talked about kind of less film on you and maybe less like big time opponents, right? Correct. How do you think that, you know, people viewed that? So when you're coaching, when your coaches are kind of talking to you about things and, you know, 
kind of assessing your level, being able to handle the next level, the NFL sure. level. Well, here's what, and here's what I've actually told some of our quarterbacks this week, uh, Mike White from Western Kentucky, uh, Kyle Aletta from Richmond, is that coming from a mid-major, an FCS school or a smaller uh, FBS school, uh, you don't have all the film to back you up. So in your interview process is the chance to show these evaluators that you really know football. You can have a football conversation. You have the ability to absorb information and then take it and apply it. And if you can do that, they can say, okay, he can make the transition. He's got the smarts. He's got the, the mental capacity to ask to do what we're asking him to do. Uh, similar to a Carson Wentz who played at a 1AA FCS school, but being able to show what he was about other than just what they saw on film. So if you were going to talk to them about you know, like any particular statistics or anything they could potentially point to, um, what would you maybe direct them towards? So you talked a little bit with me before about efficiency and what you could, how you can translate what you learned at the college level to the, to the NFL level. Like, can you kind of re-say that? Because it was really good. Well, I think it's really important. Uh, stats can be a, a great indicator, but also it can lie to you. Of course. And so you've really got to be able to look at a number and, and use and be valid with the numbers and not just say numbers are numbers. And so you really want to look at efficiency. So even though maybe a guy is only throwing 20 to 25 times a game compared to a guy who's throwing 40 times a game, but a guy who's throwing in that 20 to 25 time, he may be more efficient with his opportunities. He may be more accurate with his opportunities compared to the guy who's throwing 40 times a game and has the same amount of yards or even a little bit more yards, but his efficiency's mm -hmm. not there. So we're so all that's about important. we're all about contextualizing data, right? So a shorter pass, to. a shorter pass that's easier to complete. A longer pass that's harder to complete. As the quarterbacks, they're not quite running. I'm kind of faking it right now. It's a different position group. But as the quarterbacks are going through the progressions, everyone I talk to says, you know, you start with shorter passes, they get longer passes. They're looking at your footwork to see, can you do the, you know, the five and seven step drop? Because a lot of quarterbacks in college don't do that. Don't do that. That's right. So when you're, you know, they're getting harder and the better passers kind of shine as the routes get trickier with the white. And obviously we, we know the wide receivers, they don't have chemistry with them. Mm -hmm. So it's more about the throwing action. How do you, like, if, if we're watching at home or if we're thinking about that, how do we kind of look at maybe someone like a Baker Mayfield who doesn't, he, he didn't have a lot of, you know, under center snaps in college? How do we kind of translate that? Well, I think, first of all, you just look at athleticism and does he have the athleticism to translate and learn these other footworks? That's number one, which most of these do. Uh, this group of quarterbacks seem, they seem very athletic. Um, but then you, know, you can't, I don't think you really look at how many balls that a quarterback completes in the combine process. I I think you look at smaller details right. such as hey is he is does he have a little bit of anticipation and timing even with guys that he doesn't know is he is he okay with going ahead and taking that shot and putting it out there earlier does he have to wait to see it what does his fundamentals look like can he pass the ball versus throw the ball there's a difference throwing the ball to me is a two-dimensional thing passing the ball is a three-dimensional thing a lot of times in the nfl you're not throwing into a window you're actually having to throw it into a pocket which is over someone and back down before the next defender so you're looking at finite details because that should only it shouldn't make or break your decision but it solidifies your decision based upon what you've seen on film and you can kind of put those two things together
And your draft class was which year? Uh, 2000. Right. So uh, And so I was the first and only quarterback taken in the first two rounds. And then most of the quarterbacks were taken from third round up, including uh, our man Tom Brady, who was taken in the sixth round. I've heard of him yeah, somewhere d- before. Yeah, just slightly. I mean, nobody he's, talks he's about okay. him. He's okay. He's all right, you know. Do people get on you about your age, considering you're the same you know, age as him, you know, do you, in your regular life now? Do you, no, you not like, at hey, all. You know? Not at all. I mean, he didn't have four shoulder surgeries like I did, <laughs> right, so it, right. it's a, a much different path. But at the same time, I think Tom is a perfect example of uh, being able to find the right organization mm-hmm. with the right plan with the right athlete that's willing to work, that has the passion and desire to be the best he can be. And when you put all those ingredients together, that's what you get. So let's get back to Josh Allen for a second. You talk about some of the things, there's some question marks there. One of the things I've been kind of curious about is, you know, as you go from high school to college to, you know, to the pro level, things like completion percentage, things Mm -hmm. like, you know, your ability to create space for your receivers or throw into that space that you talked about. Is it like how do you how do you kind of project doing that? Do you know what I mean? Like how sure. can we? Because he's not at a he's not at a you know Wyoming is Division One, but we don't see them on TV quite a bit, so we're, right. maybe we're not as familiar with him. Well, first of all, I think we have to make um, the distinction and understand that this is an art. We all want to make this a science because that makes it a little bit easier and more concrete for our decision making. But this is an art. It's not a science because you're talking about human beings. You're not talking about robots, and you're talking about a heart. And so that's number one. But but then when you're looking at completion percentage per se, I think just you go, one. It's yeah, one dimension, right? right. But yeah. I think you go back and you look at decision making. And is the is the completion percentage a little lower because of decision making, or is it a little lower because of accuracy? What does that entail? And then can you work on those things? Does he have the ability? playing in Wyoming obviously it's not great as far as environment and weather that could be something maybe there were a lot of drops maybe he actually threw the ball away uh, which, right, which is good reason decreases right. completion mm-hmm. percentage so you've got to do your homework and not just say well 57 percent completion that's not going to work I, I'm not super worried about the exact number. I'm just, I guess that yeah. was actually a perfect way no. to, to yeah, do it. Exactly. Yeah. So both of the teams that you played for, so to remind everyone, you played for the Jets and then you played for the Dolphins. There are like some quarterback questions there, right? Mm-hmm. Potential. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Some, especially in New York, sure. Especially in New York. If you were going to be doing strategy, so put your you know analytics hat on here for a second, what would you – like? If, do you have any insight as to what maybe the Jets should do or maybe the Dolphins? Well, here's, here's what the Jets – uh, will probably do, and I'm not going to give you a direct answer, but there has to be multiple plans. Mm-hmm. And here's why I say that. First of all, if, if you get a starter in free agency, then that changes your draft strategy because you can't bring in a Kirk Cousins and draft uh, a Josh Allen. Right. That dynamic doesn't work. Both of those players are trying to be the starter, and they're working on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. If you go free agency route, that changes your draft strategy. If in free agency you you don't get a Kirk Cousins, you don't get a solidified starter, but you get a veteran that know that you know can start, maybe a Josh McCown who's already proven that he can help you win. He's done really well. Then you go to the draft because you know Josh understands who he is, what he's there for, and that he will help your draft pick. That dynamic is so important. And if the dynamic within the quarterback room is not right, it affects your whole team in a negative way. If you were them, which one would you do? Uh, let's let's first, pretend we'll put the cap aside. Sure. Right. I would first I would first look in free agency and determine okay if Kirk Cousins or one of those players if he's the guy you go for him because you can win now. 
um, and, and be very competitive. They have uh, have a really good defense. They've got some pieces on offense. And so that, that to me, would be your first uh, plan. If that doesn't work, that doesn't mean you can't win now with the rookie. It's just going to be a different way of winning. Uh, for instance, a Joe Flacco who started as a rookie, but they had Ray Lewis in that defense, so he wasn't asked to do a whole, whole lot. Let him work his way in, and they made it all the way to the AFC Championship doing that. So um, there's different ways to do it, but you have plan A, plan B. You feel good about both of them. Um, and then sometimes you got to have a plan C and, and try to you know survive while you're trying to find that guy. Awesome. Well, one last thing. I know you have a ton of interviews, so thank you so much for taking so much Absolutely. time. But um, I'm, I know you're from Tennessee, and I know right. you're from – Knoxville right we want to know if we're going to go to Knoxville like where's the one place that we need to eat I'm just saying <laughs> I love Cracker Barrel awesome thank you so much all right thank you Cracker Barrel money Cracker Barrel money. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. He it really wanted doesn't. to franchise. Cracker Barrel wouldn't let him franchise a restaurant. Who do I need to write to? Like, we need to fix this. Cracker Barrel's not going to franchise, even to Chad Pennington. Not going to do it. It's Cracker Barrel. It's I, a, it's an institution. It is a it is an inner a southern interstate roadside institution. Who else is a southern interstate roadside institution? Chad Pennington. <laughs> Good point. Touche. <laughs> Uh, there it is. Uh, three fantastic interviews, some conversations surrounding free agency and analytics pertaining to what teams uh, spent their money on and what they can expect from all that money spent. As Wade Phillips tweeted out, one of the better Twitter follows. Son uh, of bum. At son of bum. At son of bum. It's not free agency. It's expensive agency. So uh, enjoy the rest of your week or week and a half, however long it may be, until the next uh, time we do this. Do we do we protect your identity, Emma? Is that why uh, Shet calls you Emma VP as you help us out today? Um, I don't know. I think what's just you know. Can I share your shorter. last name or no? Yeah, you're welcome to. Because I, I I appreciate ethnic uh, surnames, so mm-hmm. I do want to point out a big thank you to Emma Sauerfine, uh, who helped us out today, otherwise known as Emma VP. Yes. Which I like because the V then replaces the W because Americanized, we would say sour wine. Right. But I think in your native German language, we would say sour fine. So uh, there's the V. I don't know where the P comes from, but hey, it's all good. It's all good. Thank you, Emma. You we got appreciate it. it. Uh, we'll be back again probably in two weeks for another Game Theory and Money podcast as our off-season schedule is still getting settled. Thank you so much for downloading, streaming, listening, sharing on social media. Uh, we certainly appreciate it.